Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. I hope you're all surviving the holidays if you're the type of person who celebrates. I certainly feel like I'm in the middle of a marathon right now, and I am deeply looking forward to January 2nd when I can sleep for a week. Before I jump into the episode, I want to share another iTunes review. Over in the Canadian iTunes store, 183 Days of AIP says, To hear stories about people that connect with me in a way no one else does feels so heartwarming. For someone else to understand the frustrations of life with chronic illness feels validating. Great podcast. I'm so, so glad to hear that these stories are resonating with people. Today, I'm talking to David Lauren, who I've mentioned before because he helps out with the transcript, about Crohn's disease, navigating career and friendship from inside a flare, and the antagonism between Western and alternative medicine. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. Well, we can jump right in if you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've never really talked about, you know, Crohn's disease or chronic illness with anyone other than my family. So wow, this is kind of a, a big thing too. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, then first, um, tell me about what your health was like when you were a kid. When I was young, my health was fine. You know, it was fine for uh, a kid. You know, I didn't have yeah. any kind of major health issues. Uh, but you know, it was never like great. I had some breathing problems when I was a kid, but those kind of went away with time. And then, yeah. Uh, like asthma kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Um, like I I had a puffer for a long time and then all of a sudden it just kind of stopped needing it, but I was pretty young. So I don't really understand why that happened, but I was fine with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had Uh, one in elementary school too. And then I just didn't anymore. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. It's weird. Um, okay. So then, so when you were a kid, you had a little bit of breathing stuff, but not much. Um, and then it kind of went away. And then when was the first time that you started to notice health things again? We'll say. I would have been in high school. I was probably 16 when it, when my first kind of, uh, initial flare up happened. Um, yeah, yeah, I was in grade 11, uh, I think I had my first kind of semblance of, of realizing that something wasn't right uh, when I was uh, on vacation with my family in Mexico mm-hmm. uh, and kind of felt a little weird there, but we ch- kind of just chalked it up to the food. Yeah. Um, and then when I got back, it didn't really go away, and that's when we started kind of investigating a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But um, I also come from a family of people with Crohn's disease, so as soon as the symptoms started showing up, we knew basically what it was immediately. Right. And and just kind of went in that direction. There weren't a lot of mysteries. No. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say I'm um, feeling weird, that's like I'm I'm going to guess so you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. There's kind of a yeah. bunch of intestinal stuff that can happen, so some pain, some indigestion, some everything else or was it in other directions too? Oh, yeah, it was it was very much just stomach pains and kind of uh increased frequency of going to the washroom and mm-hmm kind of not feeling energetic enough to go out and do things at first. Um, and that kind of stayed steady for about a year, and then it started getting worse. Um, mm-hmm. And that's when we really kind of ramped up the going to the doctors. And things were going on for about a year where we kind of – I kind of tried to just uh, deal with it by kind of eliminating 
uh, things from my diet in hopes that that might help it go away. But, you know, the whole time we knew that that's really never going to be a solution. It might kind of help in the day to day, but it's not going to be a long term uh, way to live your life. So. Exactly. It's yeah. like not the whole so, picture. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so then at that point, had you gone to a doctor yet or is that you were experimenting with yourself yeah, for a year and then Yeah, I was kind of experimenting with food for a year or so uh, and then kind of just gave up on uh, on that because it wasn't enough. And that's when we just kind of decided, well, we know the path mm-hmm. that we have to take. Let's let's get this started. The sooner you, you, you jump on it, the sooner that uh, you can kind of live a better life, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then for that, so for a Crohn's diagnosis, yeah. they do that with a scope, right? So you went in and yeah, got we that kinda, kind of we stuff had done to, next. Um, Is that right? Fight for that a little bit with the doctor because we wanted to, he wanted to kind of start from the simplest uh, possibility that it could have been, you know, some sort of um, infection or virus that I picked up while I was in Mexico and just hasn't gone away yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of had to keep. Mm-hmm. I want to say strong arming, but that's a little bit of a hard word. You know, that's not exactly what we had to do, but <laughs> we had to keep being insistent. Like, no, this is probably Crohn's disease. Let's start there and kind of work from there because my brother has it and he was around my age. Uh, rather, he was around the same age when he first uh, had symptoms and it was the exact same kind of process mm-hmm. uh, that he went through. So as a family, we kind of mm-hmm. knew what it was. Um, right. Or at the very least wanted to eliminate that first instead of spending another however long experimenting with all these other things when oh, you yeah, know what the exactly. prime suspect yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, that that's hard. I understand it from a standard of care perspective with doctors, but at the same time, when you're like, excuse me, there is an overwhelming amount of evidence. Yeah, exactly. Please pay attention to it. So then... How how long did that process take? Uh, that process didn't next? take very long because um, my mom basically just said, like, look, this is what we're going to do. This is what happened to me when I had my diagnosis, you know, back back when she did. And uh, just kind of said, like, this is what it is. Let's not pretend that it's something else. And let's just kind of <laughs> move forward with it. So uh, the whole process to kind of get my diagnosis only took probably like four or five months. Yeah, with, with – yeah, right. yeah, with Which one is, scope. Yeah, quick. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty obvious, so it, it didn't really uh, pretend to be anything else, and mm-hmm. we kind of knew what it was right away. And then from yeah, there, that was my, so that was still in high school? 12. Yeah, right, right as, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then what, did you start on medication right away? Like, what is what did your treatment mm-hmm. protocol look like then? And then maybe has it changed yeah, over time? Yeah, so um, obviously. It started with uh, prednisone, which is uh, everybody uh, on Crohn's disease knows prednisone. Did a bunch of that just to kind of deal mm-hmm. with the initial flare-up and get the inflammation under control. And then I was uh, on like a, um, a maintenance drug for a little while um, that mm-hmm. kind of helped for like maybe a month. And then it stopped being as effective. Uh, so I went on to another maintenance drug for a little while, mm-hmm. and that one also only lasted about two, three months. Uh, and these weren't – I i don't really know what kind of drugs these were because I was on them so briefly, and uh, it was like 10 years ago. Right. Uh, 
But then after those two drugs kind of sure. stopped working for me, uh, I got onto a biologic. I got onto Remicade uh, when I was 18, and that was really the first time that uh, the symptoms went away and uh, quality of life came back. So I, I was on, yeah. Okay. And then, so that really changed. And were you eating? How are you eating at this point? So you mentioned doing some experiments initially, um, but once you started taking medication and noticing, we'll say, some impact and then even it will go up or down, did those still play together or did it mean that you could pretty much eat whatever you wanted? Uh, it meant that my my diet was uh, widely uh, expanded from when it was before on the, uh, I was on the medication. Because before I was on the medication, everything yeah. basically got cut out. I cut out uh, gluten, I cut out dairy, and I, you know, I cut out raw vegetables, mm-hmm. uh, nuts, seeds, all like the things that are hard to digest, and all the yeah. things that have nutrients in them. So, uh, exactly right. Um, the usual. And then suspects. once I got onto the medication, I guess I'd say like ninety percent of that came back. I still couldn't really tolerate dairy. Um, which is fine with me now because um, I, I, I definitely don't eat milk anymore. And um, otherwise, once I right. got onto the Remicade, things kind of came back and I was able to eat not just uh, you know raw vegetables but uh, junk food again, which was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how your relationship to foods can change once you become aware of the impact that they can have on your body. Oh yeah, and it's, and I mean, food that kind of ride. seems so innocent and and um, wholesome, kind of takes on this really dark quality to it, and you're like, mm-hmm. ugh. I just imagine what that's gonna do to me and how I'm gonna feel for a week after eating, you know, like like a a side of fries, and it's it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. Whenever I fall into like research holes, I'm reading um, a book called The Walls Protocol right now, which. Uh, is written by this doctor who has MS and she does a lot of, uh, she basically reversed a lot of her symptoms with diet and it's a very nutrient intensive diet. But anyway, part of reading it is explaining the science around it. And whenever I get into these science holes, I'm like, oh God, everything that's happening inside my body is terrible. Like one bite of anything. And it's really setting off this whole chain of events. It's, it's good to know, but sometimes it's also, yeah, sometimes you just kind of stop thinking about it because it is, it is too much. Yeah. <laughs> it takes over. Okay, so so you started that medication yeah, started, when you were started that medication I when I was 18, 18 uh, right? with a month before I moved to Toronto for uh, school because I'm from rural Ontario. And uh, Okay. <coughs> okay. Um, yeah, so then okay. I moved to Toronto and uh, stayed on that medication uh, at my hospital, uh, Mount Sinai, and it was great. Uh, I felt great. Um, you know, I was... Uh, I w- not only was I able to eat, you know, whatever food I wanted to, but, uh, you know, for first year university, I was able to to drink uh, for the first time in like three or four years because mm-hmm. in high school, I just couldn't handle it. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, it got to the point that I felt so good that I would kind of forget that I was sick at times. And then, you know, you'd eat something and you're like, oh, yeah. right. I'm sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have this thing that happens. Yeah. So it felt thinking about what normal feels like is always really interesting, especially somewhere like university where you're so surrounded by other people doing whatever normal looks like. Um, 
And so did that continue yeah, I, through university? Luckily, I managed to get through all of my undergrad and about a year and a half outside mm-hmm. of university without any issues on this on this medication. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I feel really lucky that I managed that much time uh, and managed that kind of difficult time because stress is such a big trigger for Crohn's disease that I managed to make it through my undergrad without any issue is pretty, uh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge <coughs> without, yeah, flaring. Okay, so that was like a solid five years then of yeah. medication is working. You yeah, don't it was, think about it. It was cl- it was actually that close to eight years because of, uh, you know, just started in high school okay. and then university took longer than expected and, and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so eight years. And I would just like the way that you're talking about it, I think that that's how people think that a, lo- a lot of autoimmune disease wo- diseases work is that at first you're sick and then you find out what it is and then you're on a medication and the medication does the work and you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. That kind of was my experience for the most part. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, that sounds great. And then it it slowly became Ah. very unmanageable for me. (laughs) One of the, one of the issues with biologics is that uh, your body slowly builds up an immunity to the medication and it stops working for you. And that's what happened uh, on the Remicade that I was on. And it's it's a slow process. Okay. Uh, so it took like, you know, it took mm-hmm. eight years for it, my body to build up this immunity to it. But as soon as it built up that immunity, as a medication, it just stopped working for me. And my symptoms came back over the course of a year. And, uh, you know, they got they got pretty bad during that flare up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and I can imagine that would be really, really yeah, frustrating. Um, especially because the, the the process of kind of dealing with a flare-up before switching from one biologic to the next um, involves a lot of kind of secondary mm-hmm. or support medications. And the it's okay. that's frustrating because the, the window between uh, infusions for this medication was eight weeks at the time. So, you know, you'd try something and then you'd wait eight weeks to see if it felt any better before your next infusion. And then you'd have that infusion and you'd have to wait another eight weeks to see how that felt. And it just kind of took this protracted amount of time to deal with something only to find out that uh, after about a year and a half of support medications and changing uh, infusion intervals and and changing uh, amount of medication to find out that I just need to change Mm -hmm. medications. Yeah. Right. Right. You have to invest a lot yeah. of time in finding out if something is even having an effect or not. Yeah. And what during so during this time, maybe early in the flare and while you're trying on different medications, what else were you up to? Like what was the uh, rest of your life like? Yeah. Were you working? Yeah, were at you, the at the time whatever? that the flare ups started, um I was still working and I was playing in a band. And then um Mm-hmm. I was playing in a band and I was working and um, I just got to a point where I was getting too sick to even do that. Mm-hmm. So I had to, I kind of, I quit my job with the intention of kind of taking a month off and kind of getting my health back in order and finding a better job. Yeah. Um, and I took the month off uh, after the band broke up, I took the month off and that month has turned into about two and a half years now of dealing with this flare up and um yeah. 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 It, it got uh, it got substantially worse before it started getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And what, like, what does it look like for you to be able to take care of yourself? So I'll hypothesize for a second and then stop talking. One of the things that I know I find really difficult with working is partly the schedule. So it's like you have to show up and be somewhere and be functional for a fixed amount of time. And then also uh, there's just the stress of explaining things to people over and over again. Um, so with not working, what, how does that change and how does it shift the other things that are going on and like what it looks like you for what it looks like for you to feel like you can optimize your, I don't know, experience. I ran out of words there. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, firstly, I don't really find it all that stressful to explain to people the, you know, my, my kind of limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I kind of wear it on my sleeve. Yeah. Um, I'm very upfront about it. Yeah. As for working, um, yeah, getting to places is very difficult, especially given the kind of nature of this flare-up that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> even getting up and you know going to the street outside of my house was really difficult for me for about eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I was essentially bedridden for about a year, year to eight months. Yeah. Um, so that made, uh, working very difficult. Yeah, uh, yeah certainly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't have any kind of marketable skills, so I couldn't really work from home because my degree is in philosophy. So, you know, I don't have any skills realistically. Like um, freelance philosophy on your <laughs> computer. Oh yeah. I'm sure I could do that, but nobody would pay for it. So, um, yeah. Creating yeah, so jobs I, from bed is a really... I'm excited to see people find more solutions to that because there are some really specific ones. And if they're not for you, then you're like, you're saying you're out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just kind of completely unemployed for, uh, I mean, I have been for about two and a half years, um, Mm -hmm. because getting out from my house to a place to work, uh, was difficult. And if I had to stand at the job, I couldn't do it. Uh, if I needed to kind of guarantee that I would be, uh, available to people for eight hours at a time. I can't do that because I never know when I'm going to need to, you know, run to the washroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much, yeah. so especially during the time when you're, you're saying essentially bedridden, it's how much of that is, is like needing a proximity to a bathroom, which you can talk about as much or as little as you want. Um, and how much of that is also, I can imagine there's pain involved and there's essentially malnutrition involved. Um, in something like this that can lead to weakness and difficulty walking or cognitive dysfunction. Like what did that look like for you? Yeah. For, for like the, the period that it was the worst during this flare up, um, there was all of that. I needed to be at least five steps away from a toilet mm-hmm. or rather at most five steps away from a toilet for yeah. like eight months. It was, yeah. it was really strange. Um, it happens to people, man. <laughs> oh yeah, it does happen. Um, and thankfully, my roommate at the time was remarkably understandable and would, uh, like, stop his showers to let me get into the washroom, you know? That's great. Um, yeah, I don't know how I could have possibly gone through this without a roommate as um, accommodating as he was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then, you know, I was eating a slice of bread a day because, I, you know, not eating and being hungry was better than eating and having to deal with that feeling. Right. So malnutrition was definitely part of it. And yeah, for when I was at my worst, I was also losing a lot of blood. So um, mm-hmm. I was tired and could barely focus on things. Mm-hmm. 
and would watch TV and kind of, you know, fall asleep in the middle of the day for two hours. Yep. And that was basically all I did for about eight months. Um, other than, you know, uh, take a cab, the, the, the two blocks over to the hospital yeah. for my, for my medication, then take a cab back because walking from my house to the hospital was just not possible. Not going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the TV thing really, really strikes me because I, yeah, I've had different issues, but I've also been there where you're like, my life is going maybe from my bed to a couch if I want like a fun and exciting change of scenery (laughs) where I'm going to be doing the same things, but like, this is where I do it in the daytime and this is where I do it at night. Um, and it's left me with a really weird relationship with TV even like, I don't like watching Netflix when I feel well, because I feel like I'm like, I don't even know robbing my body or like, I'm going to trick my body into getting sick again, just from like the soothing introduction of criminal minds or something. (laughs) Yeah, and just kind of the the guilt that comes along with feeling unproductive was really what got me more than anything was like Yeah. Like I'm lying in bed barely awake watching the office for like the eighth time in a row and Yeah. Feeling like you don't feel that bad today. You should try to do something, you know? Like try yeah. to find a job that you can do from home and then you'd stand up and be like, Nope, you're gonna pass out or Yeah. Or something. Like you gotta lie back down and guess what? You're watching T V again for the next four months. Yeah, it's I'm I'm so interested, and there are more conversations about this happening, I think, kind of on the internet now, about that thing, that needing to feel productive and tying your human value into your productivity. Um, but it's so real, and the self-talk of, like, you're not as bad as you were last week, even if, like, going out and doing the thing might make you sicker. Um, and then, also, I already know part of this, and you mentioned Toronto, so healthcare is covered, so that also must just because I've talked um, to a lot of Americans. So how much of this is covered by OHIP or is everything covered? Um, the, the like the kind of basic stuff is covered by OHIP, mm-hmm. um, but my medication is covered by the Trillium drug plan because my medication is just like ludicrously expensive. Yeah. Um, when I was on Remicade, it was five grand in infusion and I would do that every eight weeks yeah. and I did that for eight years. Right. And I'm on a new biologic now, and I don't even know how much that one costs. Yeah. Um, because I never, I've never seen a receipt. So. Right. It's a new one that uh, is. There's a very small clientele that uses it. Mm-hmm. Um, even using the word clientele is a weird word there. But anyway. <laughs> um, it's a luxury there's a very product. S- yeah. Right. There's a very small group of people who use uh, this current biologic. So I can only imagine it's more than five thousand uh, dollars an infusion. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah like. I couldn't imagine having to do this, going through this in in a, a place where there aren't these kinds of um, social structures to help people with these issues deal with them. Like, uh, I come from like a, a reasonably middle class background, but even that, like, I yeah. would not have been able to cover this. You know, yeah. it's it's a it's a whole other salary. I need a whole other salaried position just to pay for my healthcare. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly it. It's like. I'm really interested in the the financial components of it in general for this kind of stuff because I think so many people do. There's an explanation. It's not it's like it's not available to everybody, and so you have to qualify, or you have to be working, or your family has to be able to afford it. Like there's always something to even get access to these things that yeah. are letting people survive. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a kind of a grim thought if you let yourself think about it too much, and uh, it can be hard to to kind of come to terms with. Yeah, it's and yeah. and I do understand it's it's like that new drugs <sighs> are expensive to develop. I don't I don't have like a big <laughs> trust and faith in the pharmaceutical industry, but I understand mm-hmm. that when it's like for a small audience and they're constantly researching that there is a cost associated with that, but it's complicated. Um, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you, because you're describing this one period, at least, as something that is in the past for now. So things have have been improving from there since then. Are you at a new plateau? Like you found a medication that worked? What's been going on? Yeah, I'm on this this new medication. It took about a year to switch from the old one to the new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I switched to this new medication. It's called Intivio. I switched to Intivio about a year and a half ago, and okay. I started improving at the kind of right away. But I also started a secondary medication at the same time. I started a uh, a steroid. Okay. Um, not prednisone, something new. Um, mm-hmm. and so now I'm at a point uh, a year and a half later where I've improved, but not really enough. I've kind of plateaued again. Yeah. Um. And I'm kind of I'm trying to get off the steroid to see if if it was the biologic that's helped or if it's just been the fact that I've been on a steroid for the same amount of time. Um, and maybe the biologic hasn't really done anything. Mm. I'm this one of my concerns right now, you know, trying yeah. to find the right combination of medications that work. And uh, yeah, I'm at the point where if this biologic, if Intivio doesn't work, then the only solution left to deal with this flare up is surgical. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm considering now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard when you obviously want to do the most that you can to feel better as quickly as possible. And then you're left with that position of like, okay, I did three interventions or five interventions. And whether that's changing your diet or starting drugs or whatever. And then you have to sort through it and possibly feel worse by removing something in order to find out if it's working. Like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh, that's how that feels. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird to kind of be like, okay, I'm gonna make myself feel worse, I think, or risk feeling worse to find out if something else is working. Yeah, it, it feels like you know two steps backward to try and take one step forward, but yeah, you know, it's what you got to do. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, so yeah, so you're kind of at a plateau, and you're basically at a point where you are going to start tinkering again. So, what? Okay. I'm trying to I'm like trying to go through all of the things that I like to cover and my brain gets scattered. Um, one, we have talked about diet. Is there anything else that you have tried that is perhaps more out there when nothing seems to be working and you just want to be doing something? Uh I, I wouldn't really call this out there, but uh I've been I've been vegan for about four years now and um I think that's helped. <laughs> I don't think it's hurt. Yeah. In any way, um, the 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 thing with Crohn's disease is that it's always uh, the only thing that doctors ever say about diet is uh, diet as tolerated. Yeah. So my diet will be completely different from another person with right. Crohn's disease. Yeah, totally. And those two different diets will work for both of us, and if we were to try each other's diet, it would be a nightmare. Yeah. So it's it's something that I've kind of tried and and tried to figure out. Um, I've cut out kind of all like the major uh, Crohn's triggers of like nuts, seeds, raw vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't eat deep fried foods. Yeah. 
and that seems to help. Certainly. Um, and that's something that you can definitely do uh, while, you know, avoiding animal products. So I'm pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the only dietary intervention I've done over the yeah. last few years. Is yeah. Just kind of cutting out the, the, the usual suspects. And like following what feels good or feels less bad to be more yeah. accurate probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. A, I did a lot of blended food for a while. When mm-hmm. I was at my worst, I, I drank a lot of blended bananas. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. I've been getting really back into smoothies lately because I'm trying to get more vegetables. Um, yes. Yeah. And it's good, but also cold, which was like a planning error on my part. I think I I should have gotten more into soups right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's really what blended soups are, just savory hot smoothies. Yeah, like it's a good idea. It's There's just so many extra steps. Because I do I, – it's funny because I, I absolutely agree. I believe the diet is super personal in terms of what just works. And so I used to barely eat meat. I was effectively vegetarian. Um, and then once I started cutting all this other stuff out of my diet, which for me included beans at one point because I needed to go – I really needed to get rid of a lot of carbs. And I was like, I guess I do need to start eating meat and figuring out how to mm. prepare meat and like buy the most ethical or the most whatever, like figure out how my values play into it. And then that's been a transition too. And so I think people go in all these different ways based on like, okay, red meat isn't working. So I have to think about other good protein sources or grains aren't working. So I have to think about how to be full. Like it's such a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess one of the things that this uh, this flutter has kind of helped me learn is how to be okay with not feeling full. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of a blessing in disguise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a super different thing. Eating to satiety. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, well, it's interesting. So since, like you talked about at the beginning, this is something that has been in your family. It looks like. Yep. So it seems likely that there's a genetic component, we'll say. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they call it a, a familial link. They, they're they not um, they as in scientists who study Crohn's disease. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're not willing to call it a genetic link just yet because the research is not just it's not there yet. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for people living with it in a family, it's pretty obvious that there's a family link. Right. And yeah. that, that, I mean, I understand the science hesitancy. It's like that could also be environment because everybody's living in the same mm. house. So whatever yeah. that might look like. And, and the area of, of Ontario that I'm from has a slightly higher than average um, or higher than probable uh, occurrence of Crohn's disease as well. So they're trying to figure out, they, again, scientists, um, yeah. trying to figure out why that might be. That's super interesting. So yeah. related to that, do you... Do you have any unproven theories based on your own research? Or, like, what do you think is going on um, in terms of what turns this stuff on or what triggers it or what causes people in the same area to get it? That's super interesting. Uh, The only really theory that I have um, as to why, at least why people in my area um, have a higher than average uh, occurrence of Crohn's disease is I'm from a small kind of isolated French Canadian community. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that's been there for, you know, hundreds of years. So, uh, it's a very close knit family up there. And I think that's really what it is, is just, you know, we're all a lot more close, uh, family genetic wise than, than most of the population. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean that. Yeah. So you, yeah. you think probably genetics has a, which could certainly make sense. I mean, 
when it's everybody in an environment and autoimmunity is so weird. Man, I got a lot of wind noises happening here. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. So then how, like, so you're, it sounds like your brother is older than you. Is that right? He is. Yeah. Yeah. He's about six years older than I am. Yeah. And so how have you seen, because you have these two people in your life and your family who kind of went through this a little bit before you, how, how are they doing and how does that impact your own experience of living with this? Um, that's, wow. That's a <laughs> loaded. That's a, yeah, that's a harder question to answer than I thought it would be. Um, it's, it's nice to know that I have people with whom I can kind of relate mm-hmm. um, about the experience of Crohn's disease, even though we have very kind of different lifestyles and, and different uh, uh, symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all on different medications. So that's also interesting. Um, yeah. It's, it, I think the real benefit is just having that kind of support group of, of my family. You know, whenever I'm not feeling well, if I call my mom, she kind of just says like, Oh yeah, I know what that's like. And that's a comforting feeling to have somebody say like, yep, I've been there. And like, and it's true. It's it's always difficult to kind of convey symptoms to people who have never kind of lived with these symptoms. So having somebody who can just kind of nod along and say like, yep, I've been there is a very, uh, it's an easy comforting feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I totally believe that one thing that I talk about all the time is, is how difficult it is with language because the words that we have to use to describe symptoms are the same as words that we use for other things. And so people don't, aren't necessarily able to map that onto their own experiences if they haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I often say like, Oh, my stomach's not doing well right now. Yeah. When during this flare up, it's really not been my stomach. That's been the issue. Mm -hmm. But trying to explain like, Oh, you know, like, like my lower intestines and upper rectum is very inflamed today. And I don't feel well because of that. It's hard to get across to people because they just don't know what that feels like. So you just say like, oh, my stomach hurts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a proxy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think, like, what does next look like for you? Um, and one of the reasons that I'm asking is I'm really, I think there's there's like a, a grieving process around, oh, the way that I thought that life looked like for people who have careers that go a certain way and work themselves to death in their 20s and 30s. Um, Once, if that doesn't look as possible, which from a flair, it certainly doesn't. Like for me, it's really reshaped the way I think about the next 10 years of my life. Um, And so what do you, how, how, how is that happening for you? I guess is my question. Like what, (laughs) what do you want that to look like? Yeah. That's something that I, I really struggled with when this flare up first started, because ever since I was in high school, my only, goal in life has been to play in a band and be a musician mm-hmm. and um you know things were going in that direction for a long time and then i had this massive flare-up and realized like oh life on the road is basically impossible for me mm-hmm. uh, unless you know some major changes happen so mm-hmm. i kind of had to had to give up on that and now i'm trying to reimagine what a career might be like um as somebody who's you know been sick from the age of 25 to 27 prime career starting ages yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It feels really grim and, and it's difficult to imagine uh, a life on the other side of, of this illness and yeah. kind of like being able to go to work on a daily basis is kind of hard to think about at the moment. So, yeah, uh, yeah. 
I don't really have a good answer for that. No, um, I don't think there is one. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm still trying to get to that point where I can think about what after means. Yeah. Because it, it it's it's entirely dependent on if I end up going in for surgery or if there's another medical or medic yeah medication based solution. Right. Um, because right. those are two different lives that will that could that I could lead. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, then, okay, a different question is now that it's so because you talked about it, like there was this eight month period that was especially bleak, and now you're somewhere in the middle at a plateau, basically. What what does that look like for you? What do, what do you get up to these days? Okay, yeah. Um, these days, uh, I've gotten kind of my my uh, my brain fog is gone now because mm-hmm. I, I'm eating properly and I'm sleeping well and I'm not losing blood on a regular basis. So now I'm able to do things like uh, you know I'm reading again because when I was at my worst, I just I couldn't even focus on a book. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, I've started reading again. I'm trying to figure out what kind of career I would like afterwards, you know, trying to learn some, some skills, um, which is kind of hard when you're, you know, you're still kind of stuck at home. Yeah. I've got some mobility back, but, uh, you know, I've only recently started using public transit again for about two years there. I, the only way I could get around was through cabs because if I needed to stop and get out, you can't do that in a train. Yeah. And if, you know, if the train gets stuck for, for, you know, even 10 minutes, that, that could be really bad for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I think, (laughs) In one of them, in the episode with my friend Stuart, he talks about that, about taking a cab to the hospital because he like knew that he'd have to throw up on the way. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he grew up in the beaches. And he's like, I can't just throw up on the streetcar at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, it's there are many yeah. great things about public transit and access to a bathroom is not one of them. Yeah, that's actually something that I guess I've been thinking about a lot more lately is kind of accessibility and chronic illness and how that's kind of. Uh, unique to to issues with chronic people with chronic illnesses and how that's different from chronic illness to chronic illness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, it, it was kind of amazing to just kind of see um, my world shrink as I got sicker and sicker, and you know, uh, all these things that uh, people take for granted. Well, people I, that I took for granted beforehand mm-hmm. um, are now kind of like these cherished and almost like sacred things now you know like walking to the end of the street is this wonderful experience for me yeah and you know yeah it's it's interesting how the world changes after these kinds of big experiences yeah totally and i think like i i think accessibility is a huge thing to talk about with chronic illness because I mean, obviously, like chronic conditions are incredibly common, I think more common than we realize because people are stuck at home. So it's easy not to see that it's happening. Um, But because like you just said, they're they're so different from person to person. It's hard. It's hard to think about how to accommodate or what accommodations might look like, like from where you are right now. So you just said your brain fog has really improved. And I am also in that position. I got my brain back about six months ago and it's awesome but but it's yeah like, yeah mine was about six months ago too yeah yeah so that's like a really great feeling because it's so distinct but I don't know that my body would support a normal job and whatever that means so like what would accommodations even look like in order to be able to use your brain and and I hear what you're saying about like looking how to apply it because you weren't kind of thinking about your career trajectory in this way before but with that part aside, let's say you knew what your dream job was. 
like what would need to be true about the environment, the work environment or the schedule in order for your current self to do it? Yeah, I would need like a, a pretty flexible schedule and I would need to, I would need a job that doesn't have hard time commitments where, yes. you know, I can kind of step away from work and go to the washroom for, you know, 20 minutes mm-hmm. whenever I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of stops me from having a variety of different jobs, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it needs to be something where I can sit down um, or stand up if I need to at times. Mm-hmm. Like physically so, flexible. Yeah, physically flexible too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it needs to be a place where there are um, a number of washrooms. That's my main concern is, you know, I, I couldn't work in an office where there's only, you know, one toilet available because if somebody's in there and I need it, you know, I don't really have any other options. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's creating a real crisis. Yeah, yeah it's it's like this stuff is hard to capture. I think I'm starting to ask people about it more, but it is. It's like the flexibility piece is super important. And it it's true that working from home has become more common, I think. Like more people are able to do that in desk kinds of jobs or like in the tech industry, which is super flexible. It's happening more. But like... When on top of wanting to be able to work at home, sometimes you also need to go, okay, and my deadlines need to be super flexible because I just can't promise that my body will be working on a specific day. Mm. I'm like, I'm incredibly interested in how people, we capture and convey that value. Like, I'm good at something. Let me do it on my own time and still get paid for it. Yeah, and that's that's even only something that I need part of the time, right? Like when I'm healthy, I can kind of accommodate any normal working situation. Yeah. Uh, but then when I'm not healthy, all of a sudden I'll be like, oh yeah, I need I need these kind of flexible contours to, to work. And that seems pretty difficult to ask from a, a you know, an employer, especially in a, a job market where, you know, there are other people who aren't sick, who won't need these accommodations yeah. that they could hire. So it, it feels kind of like, like how do I how do I compete with other people who don't have this this issue and these requirements? It's yeah 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 yeah. I think it's like a whole other way of working. Like it it would need to be jobs that were not set up to be <clears throat> competed with by someone who doesn't have those limitations. Um, I'm just obsessed with this question, but I understand that nobody yeah. has has the answer yet. Um, yeah. And so then how – you talked about this piece with your family that it's, like, incredible that your family is basically able to empathize. How has this impacted other relationships that you have? And you can talk about that however you want. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when I got really sick, uh, I kind of just instinctively uh, started letting my friendships kind of go to the side. Yeah. Yeah, that's a strange way to put it, but that's basically what happened was I, I just, you know, I needed to kind of focus more on my health than maintaining friendships and totally. my social circle really retracted from that point. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm starting to feel better, I'm trying to figure out how to reconnect with friends and reach out to people. And it's it's a very strange thing to kind of try to talk to somebody that you haven't seen in two years and say like, hey, I know I kind of let our friendship fall apart, but that's because I was really sick but how about we hang out sometime soon? You know, like, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you want to know what I've been doing for the last two years? Nothing. I haven't done anything in two years. Yeah. Tell me more about yourself. You know, it's, it, it, 
I understand that it's, it can be really hard to stay friends with somebody who is in the situation that I was um, when I couldn't go hang out in, in in places or to somebody's house. You know, my friends had to come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's it's a weird balance of trying to be understanding about that, but also uh, and, and not rather it's it's a balance to be understanding about my situation and and be empathetic to my friends while still wanting to hang out with my friends and see people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I definitely hear that. It's, it's true. And it's hard. It's hard to explain to people when you're like, well, I want to see people, but also, I mean, and for me, sleep was really important and I was sleeping a lot in the daytime. So it's like, but I also can't guarantee that I'll be able to have a conversation with you. Like, there are only some people who are in that friendship zone where you're like, I'd love it if you came over. It has to be the middle of the day. We might not be able to talk. Do you yeah. want to hang out with me? Like, I understand that that's not a super tempting proposition and that it also doesn't, like, it's not a reciprocal friendship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you kind of feel guilty about always saying like, come over to my house, come hang out with me, come see me. I can't go out there. So you have to come to me. Yeah. At least I felt guilty about that um, for for a little while. And then, you know, you kind of just have to say like, well, this is the only way that I can see people. So you should try not to feel guilty about it. Yeah. 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 And like, I mean, I I think the thing about reaching out to people afterwards that you were describing at the beginning of this little, this tangent is like, it's, it's hard also to make it not about, gosh, I'm thinking about language. So I think people understand certain kinds of illness. So cancer comes up on here all the time, but I'm going to use it again. People will understand if it's like the time period is mysterious and it maybe is going to be really bad or maybe it will have a happy ending. And then I think that pulls on people's emotions in a certain way, which is totally understandable. Like this isn't a criticism, but we have like we have an idea of how to react to something like that. But when you're like, okay, I have this chronic illness and it's flaring and I don't know how long it will last for. And I'm not especially worried that it will be fatal, but I am worried that the rest of my life is going to be on this couch. Like it's not something that people have a script for how to engage with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's where I, I kind of really thanked that I had uh, really was really thankful that I have social media because I could kind of stay in contact with a larger group of people, even though I couldn't see them, mm-hmm. uh, on the internet. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I'm one of those, you know, internet obsessed millennials, but it's <laughs> out of more out of necessity than anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, it totally changes. Yeah. I, we end up talking about that on this a lot too. It's like, cause for me, I had really bad nerve pain in my uh, forearms for a while and I didn't use my laptop because it was too uncomfortable. But um, so I stopped using Facebook because I was like, ugh, it's too much. But I loved using Twitter because you can just put stuff out there and like humans will respond. And that's great. That's a great thing to have happen um, compared to just whatever you're watching on Netflix. Um, I had a question. Oh, yes. Okay. I had a question in that realm. And do you, so this might also be different because of your family. But do you find yourself engaging with like support groups or chronic illness communities or anything like that? Is that something that you've looked at? I, I've looked into it, um, and sometimes I find it useful. Um, like I'll go onto the Crohn's disease forum. I don't really remember the name of it, but you know it's just easy to find. That's okay. But I, I'm always 
a little skeptical about that because there's often a lot of unsolicited medical advice that gets thrown around on those places. Yeah. And I like I understand that it's coming from a good place where people want to help, but some of the things I find very kind of um, intrusive and difficult to to deal with, like people who you know say like you should get off your medication and try this diet. Yeah. Like, oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't be saying that on the internet to people who are desperate and sick and just want to feel better. It's not a good thing to do. So I'm always wary about treading into these spaces because there's a lot of um, misinformation that I don't want to have to kind of filter through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, I'm so interested in the like unsolicited advice thing, which happens, I mean, definitely on the internet, but also in real life. Have you run into that with, with real life people that you know very often? Um, yeah, I, before this flare up, I worked in a health food store. Um, mm. so I got a lot of unsolicited advice, uh, yeah. about how to deal with my autoimmune disease yeah. by strengthening my immune system. Yeah. And you, you know, it's like, it, there are people that are trying to help, yeah. but you don't want to, and you can't just stand there for 10 minutes explaining like, no, 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 I can't. My, my, my goal is to kind of weaken my immune disease because that's the disease. That's what's causing me issues is my immune system. So yeah. please don't tell me how to boost my immune system to fight my immune system. Like vitamin C is not like, going to help. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how many vitamins I, I, I take in. Like it's, it's not a vitamin deficiency that I'm 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 dealing with. It's an auto, my immune system that I'm dealing with. Yeah, it's um, confused. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a light way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think like it's frustrating. The, the stuff related to diet is so frustrating for me because there's like a lack of credibility on every side. So when someone comes in and they're like, oh, have you done this thing? Which could be diet, which could be yoga, which could be whatever weird thing people want to suggest. Um, there will be like people on one side who are so skeptical of the medical of the pharmaceutical industry and the medical community. And then on the other side, there are people who are super skeptical of anything relating to diet and other interventions. Um who are like, no, like you thinking that you can't eat raw vegetables is just a myth and you're believing those internet wackos and you should stick to your medication and then eat whatever you want. Like somehow it comes from both sides and that blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I, I got more of the like, hey, don't trust big pharma kind of stuff uh, at yeah. the health food store. Yeah, sure, um, that would be the place for it. <laughs> yeah, Um. But yeah, like I'm, I'm sure there are people who say like you don't need to even consider diet, which, like, I, I guess maybe more for other conditions, but for Crohn's disease, yeah, I've never had somebody obvious. say like, say like, hey, you don't need to worry about your diet, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's more obvious when it's in your digestive tract, I guess, that like your food is going to impact it. Yeah, but it's just funny. It's like people are helped by all kinds of things. You just never know. Huh. Yeah. 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 It's and it seems like a it seems like a very strange impulse to me to go up to somebody and be like, Hey, let me tell you how to feel better. Yeah. So yeah. I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing that. The biggest part the 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 place where like I fall into this trap, not not in these conversations, because I am able to identify that it's happening, but like things that have helped me, I want to know if they would help other people. Um, which is Sim- like basically the same but it's like like the, the smallest most obvious thing is that 
I eat gluten-free now and it makes a huge difference. And I've known since college, at least, that I have a problem with gluten. Like it gives me skin problems. But I've been in this denial cycle about it. I was in a denial cycle about it for probably 10 years. Um, and like partly, I think, because there's so much there's so much um, backlash media about it that's like, non-celiac gluten sensitivities aren't real and it's just, you know, whoever trying to take advantage of people. Anyway, whatever. I, it, it makes a difference for me. And so whenever someone has a problem that maps to what was going on with me early on, which was like eczema and other skin problems, I absolutely want to jump on them and be like, okay, but have you tried a gluten-free diet yet? Um, which I don't do because it would be incredibly annoying. But I want everyone to read all of the books that I've read so that we can talk about them. <laughs> Which is like yeah. my personality in general. Um, yeah, I guess I, I probably have done some of that before to kind <laughs> of uh, undercut my own self righteousness from earlier. Uh, no, no, I mean I'm yeah, I, I'm sure I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I have totally been like, hey, you should try cutting out raw vegetables um, to people who've had kind of health or my you know, digestive issues. But yeah, it's yeah, there's there's a lot of like a lot of literature out there that people always suggest to me, and it. I'm always really skeptical of it because unless it's coming from somebody who has Crohn's disease, I don't really want to take their advice into in mind. Yeah. I don't I don't know if that's being dismissive, but that's just kind of uh, uh, I guess like a defense tech technique that I've I've developed. I think that's fair. I mean, I so I like have read a lot of um, paleo related stuff, for example, and I don't like I don't identify as a person who eats paleo, but I'm just interested in health related books. Um, and, and it's like some of them are people who were pretty healthy before and then they still noticed some changes and now they're, they feel like empowered to give advice to people who are really sick. And that really gets to me. So I'm like, Oh really? Like your hair got shinier. You think your shinier <laughs> hair is equivalent to like not being able yeah. to walk. Um, I mean, the, the shininess of hair is a major issue for people with, uh, with chronic illness, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because of, like, malabsorption. Um, but also yeah. aesthetics. But, like, that's why – so <laughs> the Walls Protocol, which I'm reading right now, which I don't – I'm not like, everybody should read it and then do it, although I do want to talk about it with people. But anyway, one of the things that I really like about it is that it's written by somebody who specifically had the disease that she's talking about. And so – like she does a lot of and and because she's an MD she is doing a lot of like legitimate studies um in order to explore if this is something that could help more people so she's like hey i do recommend these changes like cut gluten cut dairy eat more vegetables in this way i think you'll see a difference if you don't here are some other things to try but in addition to writing this book to get this out there like i am conducting clinical trials and that part, I think, is really great instead of like, well, now that my nails are stronger, I wrote this book and everyone should follow my diet. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I'm, I'm on board with clinical trials for, for different diets. That sounds like something we need a lot more of because yeah. a lot of the diet recommendations I get are from people who only really have like their own personal experience to, to recommend things on, which at times can be very useful. Like I've definitely taken recommendations from the, you know, the people in my life I know who have Crohn's disease mm -hmm. and and it's helped or it's not helped, you know, but, yeah. um, yeah, I, I like the idea of kind of being a little bit more methodical about it and, 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 and having tests and trying to show why these things help. Yeah. That's, that's great. That sounds really interesting. 
Yeah. The why is so compelling. I get superstitious. I was going to say super superstitious, but that's a lot. <laughs> um, it, of like things that when I'm when I'm like at my wits end, and so I just want to experiment with something, like while I'm waiting for other information or whatever, and it's like, okay, well, I cut, who knows, like rice or something. And then at the same time as cutting rice, I did a bunch of other things. But then it's like, oh, I can't eat rice anymore because it might have been a part of the problem. And that is just an example. But it happens with all kinds of stuff. Like I have an intense water filter or I keep all my food in glass containers now because at one point I'll have heard something and I'm like, I might as well try it. But the things that I might as well try really start to add up into like an absurd amount of superstitious, unproven habits, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're doing like elimination dieting like that, you'll, you'll, at least for me, I know when I have like a bad experience with something, I eliminate a lot of things all at once. Yeah. And then I'm like, ah, what? Like I eliminated too much. I have no idea what it was that was causing the issue now. So I have to like kind of reintroduce it again and slowly be, you know, uh, methodical about eliminating one thing at a time. But when you're not feeling well, you just kind of like push everything away in hopes of finding some relief. Yeah. yeah, I'm terrible at being methodical about elimination diets. Um, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, like if you especially if you've been on like a really stringent diet for a little while, you just kind of you have that that urge to just break it and, and eat something that you might enjoy for once. Yeah. And then you feel bad afterwards. But you're like, you know what? Life is like this, I guess. You know, yeah. I have to sometimes eat things that I enjoy, even though I feel horrible afterwards. Yeah. And then, and like, try to manage the part of me, the part of the horrible feeling that's guilt. Like, I'll end oh, up getting moral feelings too. I, you know? I haven't even considered that. I might have to think about that <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah, I don't have an answer for it, but I just notice it. It's, it's like sometimes I'll be like, oh, I also feel bad because it's like, I'll, I'll turn eating whatever it is, eating this thing, eating this cookie. Like, mentally, it becomes, feels like an act of self harm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, like, creates this other cascade. Not all the time, but sometimes. Depending on what my brain thinks is happening with food, which varies week to week. Um, man, bodies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so is there anything that you've um, thought of, either from, I know you've listened to a few other episodes, or while you've been thinking about this, or while we've been talking, that uh, hasn't come up yet? Just related to any of this stuff. Yeah, Um I mean, the, the only thing that I, I find uh, super interesting that we've only kind of a little touched on was the the, the, the natural health industry. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I'm very skeptical of it, and I find it really difficult to kind of get on board with, but there's a lot of people in the like with Crohn's disease who have these kinds of uh, remedies that they like to use, or, you know, there's people who, who subscribe to this whole, like, uh, if you just change your diet, everything will get better and you don't need medication. And I think it's strange because my experience has been the exact opposite, that mm-hmm. I've only ever found relief from medication and from pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a weird kind of co-vilification that we have of each other where I'm like, you you know, these people are just, you know, they're, they're, they're peddling oils and ointments for de- dealing with something that's a lot deeper than that. And these other people see me as, you know, some shill for big pharma. And it it feels wrong to be that antagonistic with each other because there's got to be some overlap. Yeah. And my I'm interested in trying to figure out how to get past the kind of um, you know the antagonism to something uh, a bit better. You know, 
uh, try to take back the the, the word um, holistic medication from, yeah. from you know the the crystal healing people. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's something that that I find a lot of uh, I find myself thinking about a lot of the time because you know I I want to uh, partake in, in things like you know like meditation and yoga for helping my deal with my illness or you know um, certain dietary trends you know like I uh, you know things like that but also have them integrated in a larger format where you know you're not. Uh, telling pharmaceutical companies that they're pure evil they're only mostly evil you know like the the products that they produce do help people right and we shouldn't vilify people who rely on medication to deal with these issues yeah 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 i think that's totally and i wonder about like what the future of the medical industry looks like and how it plays into that because right now part of it feels like it's it's also divided like i could go to my primary care practitioner and th- or this has been in my experience with a lot of doctors that i've seen and they are going to be completely disinterested in anything related to diet anything that's like f- feels like it might be on the alternative medicine side um and so you're like okay well i have to choose either i'm going to follow the instructions of my doctor or i'm going to find an alternative practitioner which is maybe a naturopath or maybe like a functional medicine practitioner in the states and there's like way more to unpack there frankly because in different um jurisdictions these kinds of practitioners have different powers we'll say so like in some states naturopaths can do testing and they can prescribe pharmaceuticals so they can actually take what i will call a more holistic approach Um, But in Ontario, that's not true. So seeing a naturopath in Ontario could be really helpful for some people, but they aren't going to have access to that full picture either. And it's like, it's weird to me that it feels like before you even get to try or like learn about the options available, you have to pick which camp you're going to be in. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess I find myself being maybe a little bit too um, antagonistic to the natural path uh, way of, of going because it, it seems it seems from my experience to be less uh, effective. But I guess you know whatever works for somebody is what I, I really want to support. You know, I want people to feel better. I don't want to be right about this. Yeah, no, totally. And that's yeah. I guess that that is kind of difficult because that often spills out into like this kind of sectarianism of people who are like, well, natural path works for me, so it should work for everyone. And right. then they kind of start coming up to people and saying like, no, no, no you don't need your medication. And yeah. put down your medication. Or, or, yeah, yeah. And I guess trying to figure out how to bridge that divide is something that I think about a lot. And I haven't come up with much. No, no. Yeah. And I, I think like there's also a, a part of it is that, that with – I'm going to say most chronic illnesses, we still don't, when I say we now, I do mean like the scientific community still doesn't know a lot about the pathology. So like with autoimmune conditions, they're named after what your immune system is attacking basically, but they don't know why it's attacking that. And so in the absence of a really clear pathology, like it does make sense to me that different people would be helped by different things. And like, so, and, and to look at, um, a couple other autoimmune diseases for a second. So like with, um, 
Hashimoto's disease or type 1 diabetes, which are both autoimmune diseases where your immune system is going after something that makes something that you need, right? So like with diabetes, uh, it goes after your pancreas and it maybe you won't even be able to make any insulin because it gets that far before you find out. Or with Hashimoto's disease, you go after your thyroid and so you can't make thyroid hormone anymore. Um, and like those are things that you need. And so if you catch it really early, it may be true that a dietary intervention will really slow down the damage and you don't need a lot of medication. But if you catch it at a different stage, no amount of kale is going to make up for the fact that your body can't make insulin or can't make thyroid hormone anymore. Like, but like simultaneously, these things are both true and different people's bodies are in different places or doing these things for different reasons. I don't know. Does that make sense? That's like yeah, not an yeah, answer, that's... but it's how I'm how I'm starting to think about it. Yeah, that's that, that's a good way of, of thinking about it. Uh, almost like a like a, a dialectic between pharmaceuticals and natural paths. Yeah, like some some sort of synthesis of the two. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, it's it's like I mean when you talked about how you eat, like not eating nuts or seeds or not eating um, raw vegetables, like things that irritate you. And it seems like a lot of autoimmune diets, that's kind of where they're at. They're like, if you need to cook vegetables, cook them, but probably try to eat them because the nutrients are good. Um, And like less grains because we find that they, grains, nuts, and seeds, which are all slightly different, but overlapping in their function because we find that they irritate people. Like, find out what irritates you. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. It's tough when the, the advice you get is diet as tolerated. And yeah. then you're kind of left in this world of a variety of different diets that claim to help. And, and you know, you kind of want to try something and stick to it for a little while just to see if it actually will be helpful. Yeah. And then, you know, you don't feel as great as you think you might. Yeah. And, and so then you give up on that without, you know, giving it a full try or something, you know, it's, yeah, dieting is, it's super hard. It's it's a mess. It is. It's totally a mess. It's a mess and it's understudied for sure. Um, yeah. And then I also think that a piece that plays into this um, that can be really interesting is is that everybody's uh, diagnostic experience is different. Um, and so, like, some people might feel sick for years before they get a diagnosis. And that means that's before they have access to medication. And so I think that there's a real... Ugh, a real desperation, frankly, but also a real market for things that you can access yourself. So we can call them over the counter, but I don't necessarily mean drugs. I just like, that's where diet is. That's where a ton of this alternative stuff is. And so it's like, if your doctor can't tell you what's wrong, but something's not working, uh, you don't actually have access to pharmaceuticals, not really. And so you're left to choose from this other marketplace of some things that I think really do help people and some things that are probably garbage and then like try to figure out what works from those offerings. And that really muddies the waters. Yeah. I guess I'm coming from it from a, a position of kind of having known what my disease was, was before I was even diagnosed. So yeah, that, that probably colors my, my, you know, perception on this uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody has clear <laughs> anybody is clear on this stuff because I like I think it's super interesting, and I'm I'm also like I'm definitely into both. I experiment with my diet all the time, and there are some pharmaceuticals that have really helped me. Like it, both things are true. 
I think both things are true, but I definitely find myself like getting trapped on one side or the other all the time, depending on who I'm talking to probably and what their attitude is. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's easy. I don't know. One thing that I keep saying that I should learn more about but haven't actually done is I think that Germany, I think that their healthcare system specifically is a lot more um, integrated. So I, I think that they have like more studies about supplements or how vitamins impact people and like uh, even like nutraceuticals, like herbs and stuff. Like I think that they are a country that is actually studying this and and hopefully parsing out some of the what's valid and what's not. And then their medical system actually, you can go to one doctor to get a more diverse um, variety of recommendations, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that my impression. Great. Yeah, I could be wrong or I could be misinterpreting, but I think it's Germany and I think it's it's more like that, which is mm. super compelling to me. It's like, yeah. like what's the future? <laughs> this is an answer that neither of us will have, but like, <laughs> what is the future of the medical industry for even accommodating... I think a ton of people just kind of vanish because they give up like and yeah yeah there there was a I think it was the CBC that put it out recently an article saying that like biologics are the largest growing medical uh, medication prescribed in Canada and they're super expensive and we don't know how to deal with it mm-hmm. and it's yeah especially with like you know the way that the Ontario government has been going lately um, that my, my access to this medication feels threatened because it's so expensive and more people are are you know getting on these medications yeah. increasing the expense and yeah wh- like how how do we maintain a, a a healthcare system when people keep getting these these diagnoses and and these expensive medications like something's going to give at some point and you know we got to hope that it's it gives in a good way it gives in, in the in the good direction yeah because otherwise there are a lot of people who are going to be very very sick yeah, yeah, totally. And and I think it's an under currently underdocumented uh demographic. Yeah, um, totally. Which is just interesting. But yeah, and and I think it matters both on the healthcare side because of the cost of healthcare, but it also matters on the employment side. Like we can't really nail down what accommodations would look like or what a job would look like where someone could participate and not because I think that everybody has to earn their place in society, but because I think a lot of people are trapped in this middle zone where they want to be doing something and also want to be generating income. And, and that option doesn't, isn't really clear right now. Um, but one, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to feel productive when, you know, productive for you is getting out of bed in the morning and getting dressed. Like, yeah, it's hard to feel integrated in, in a larger society when, you can yeah. do so little every day. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm and i all for like creating more awareness and acceptance about that. Like I don't think we all have to do the same amount of labor all the time or whatever. But like there's definitely a middle zone where you're like, you know, I feel pretty good today. I would love it if I could contribute to the world around me in some way and I'm at a loss for how to do it. Or like I would like to buy something for myself and I am at a loss for how to earn the money to make that happen or ease the burden on the healthcare system. Like, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of places where I can imagine cultural shifts being needed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I think about that a lot too. And I come up with no answers. It's tough. 
it's yeah. a, it's a big question that you know we can't answer individually that we need to answer in a larger group you know in a larger context but yeah it's yeah it's it's tough it's tough to think about yeah and then okay i have one other way that i want to phrase that question but then we can leave it hanging open one way that i've been thinking about it right now is is i'm transcribing all of these episodes um and so I use uh, Amazon Web Services, which has like a machine learning thing that will convert the file into text. But what it spits out is a giant paragraph for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half long conversation all in one paragraph. None of the eyes are capitalized, which makes me nuts, but is an easy thing to fix. Um, and so it takes a long time to edit that file. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, that's a thing that I'm doing right now because accessibility is important and it makes it searchable and there's a whole bunch of reasons, but it would be really cool if one day somehow I could pay somebody else to do that for me to clear up my brain space a little. But if I wanted to do that, I would love to pay somebody from the community. Like, so somebody who is disabled or has a chronic illness or whatever. And then I'm like, how, how would I looking for not an employee, but a subcontractor, like how would I structure it to even model this? Like, there are kind of hard deadlines, but maybe I could do a whole bunch at once, but someone could work on their own schedule. Like, I don't even know when trying to create a small job, I don't even know how to structure it in a way that would be supportive because I don't know what I would want if I were doing the work. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's it's trying to imagine something that's kind of radically different from the way that society is structured right now. Yeah. It's hard because you're, you know, like, when, when I try to think about what I'm going to do when I'm not sick anymore is hard in the same way because like you're trying to think about something that is almost unthinkable, right? Like you're trying to break through these, these, these hard walls of thought that we have that mm-hmm. are structured in our society. And it's, yeah. Like how, how do you have a, a, a business that accommodates people with your own issues when, you know, the, the bare fact of accommodating the issues due to chronic illness kind of run contrary to the structure of a business, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's hard to think about. It's it's hard to, to consider and even imagine. It's tough. Yeah. And I will yeah. say, not that I have budget right now, but if anybody's listening and they have ideas for how to do it, I would love to hear them mm. because it is something that I'm thinking about eventually. Like some of the transcripts, it's like it takes me three full days. And I do have a couple other things that I'm trying to do right now that might generate income. So I might be able to like, you know, pay somebody else to get those days back, in which case how the heck do I structure it? I have no idea. So I'm yeah. open to suggestions about that for the vast future from now when I can afford to pay someone for like three days of work, which is much. Although it probably doesn't take that long. That's also my own like brain getting stuck and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the the full scope of things that I have to to ask about. Um, if there's anything else that you have in there, go ahead. But if not, thank you for talking to me. Yeah, it was. I don't really have a whole lot else to talk about. Um, we covered lots of things. I think so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We absolutely did. Um, it, that's wonderful. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of No End in Sight. I'm excited to share even more stories with you in the new year, so make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If these stories have been resonating with you, then I would absolutely love to talk to you. 
At this point, I've interviewed a lot of straight, cis, white women, and I'd particularly love to talk to people with other perspectives. You can get in touch by visiting noandinsight.co or by contacting me at BennisB on Instagram and Twitter. I also just made a dedicated Instagram account for the show if you want to connect with me there. You can find it at no.end.in.site.pod. So noendinsight.pod, except all the spaces are dots. And don't forget I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's pretty small right now, but I would love it if it could be a place where we share resources about building a business while prioritizing your health. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. I just started working on my winter patterns, and I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.